You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Dr. Christina Counts, VP of Strategy and Development for Mean Environments. Christina is a proven leader with a successful background in transforming learning spaces to modern, engaging learning environments. Dr. Counts has worked in education for over 17 years with experience as a classroom teacher, district instructional leader, school administrator, and digital and innovative learning designer. In her most recent position, Christina leads a team of professionals that support schools that are making the transition to a flexible, collaborative, and student-centered learning space. She holds a doctorate in K-12 educational leadership. Uh, She's national board certified, as well as Google and Apple certified. Dr. Counts envisions a learning space in which educators are empowered to transform education through design, technology, and innovative instructional pedagogy to create learners ready for any future. Christina, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about. And as part of your uh, your bio here, I guess you probably never expected to be uh, a leader in triage for uh, putting together learning spaces during a global pandemic. Yeah, that never hit my radar. I did not imagine we would be in this position ever, but I think exciting change is going to come out of it that's really positive for education whether that be technology or virtual learning or the physical design of the learning space. I agree. I guess my, my first question would be, um, what was your work pre-pandemic? I mean, this was already a thing, right? I mean, in my coverage of uh, the education space, there has been talk about reimagining learning spaces uh, for years. Uh, there, are, there are districts who had the luxury of new construction. Um, then there were also districts that were looking for ways to um, – kind of refab old construction. Give Just give us a little taste of what it was like before COVID. Yeah, I think pre-pandemic, we were definitely in a good position for creating flexible spaces. That was driven really by the work fa- uh, workspaces and higher ed. So starting to look at how we can create a space that builds collaboration, that was flexible and agile and could shift and change the design of the space based on the need that was currently happening in the field. And since we don't know what jobs are going to look like in 30 years, we were really pushing to design spaces that were flexible enough that we could change quickly in the education field to align to meet the demands of college and career readiness. So in setting us up for the pandemic that we're in right now, those schools and that mindset of shifting the design of the learning space to be very agile and flexible really has put those schools and districts in a good position to post-pandemic and receive students back into the classroom or whether they go virtual, hybrid, their model, they're a little bit more nimble now to respond to that. Uh, as we as we talk this morning, I mean, it's 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 amazing how fluid this um, this issue is. You have large school districts or actually I would just say public school districts in general, at least where I am here in New Jersey um, and I know down south are making their announcements that they're just going to go 100% virtual until at least November. It seems that um, some charter schools and some private schools uh, are going to make the push to go in um, in person. 
Do you see a reason for that divide? Is it because the, the public schools have more of an institutional way of putting together their learning spaces? Do you, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think they're, you know, everybody is approaching it a little differently. And I think that really depends on your area, your size of your school, the demographics that are attending. So when you take all of those and put them together, I think they're coming up with the decision that really best meets their population. Some of our schools are really small, so they can manage being able to you know, spread children six feet apart, especially in private schools where class sizes are a lot smaller. They also don't have the challenge of busing. So how do you social distance on a bus as our public schools need to provide transportation to all of their students coming in? I think there are maybe more challenges that have to be approached in the public setting versus sometimes in the private setting, there's more resources, a smaller uh, school size. So yeah, smaller classes. Yeah, a little easier to manage and and being smaller and, you know, you're only thinking of your one private school, you can be a lot more nimble and make the changes that are necessary to happen versus an entire district of 80 schools in some of our large school districts. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. Um, let's talk a little bit about the debate over uh, classrooms, uh, the, the back and forth, a lot of the the teachers and the teachers unions rightfully concerned about the health of their of their teachers and of the students. Um, in the past, you were looking at the best ways to have positive learning outcomes in a classroom. And now we're talking about physical safety. Um, or do those two things jibe? And in your opinion, um, can we have classrooms uh, that are safe for students uh, in in first grade or in eighth grade or, or who are seniors in high schools? Or does it work for one but not the other? Yeah, I think that's a, that is a big debate, right? That is the conversation that everybody's having right now, trying to figure out where that lands. And it's a tricky one. I don't know that we know. This pandemic is new to us. We don't have vaccines. We don't have, you know, we're following the guidelines from CDC as best we can. And so I think putting those practices in from CDC is the best guide we have, that they are our experts right now to follow. And so where you land on it is really, I think, uh, where your comfort is. And we all have different health issues. So some of us may be okay going in. Others, it might be more of a challenge to keep them physically safe. But I think some of these conversations have always been underlying when we're designing buildings. We're looking at air quality. We're looking at, you know, are we putting in a good filtration system? even down to surface materials on the products we put in the classroom. Are they uh, vinyls that we can easily clean? Are they antimicrobial? What are those practices? So I think this really has just brought to light some of those practices that always have been an underpinning, but really moving them to the forefront to create a physical safe space for schools to return. And you mentioned at the beginning about, um, you know, that there are some positives here or some opportunities uh, to take advantage of this tragedy. Um, and one of them involves, I think, classrooms and classroom size. So we go back to the public classroom versus the the private school classroom and, and part of the issues of having 30 kids um, crammed into a, a classroom. And now a lot of districts are talking about this hybrid solution. So where cohort A comes in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and cohort B comes in Tuesdays, you know, Thursdays, and maybe even Saturdays, 
in this crazy new world. But then now you've essentially cut the classroom size in half, right? Um, and through the use of other technologies, and if we can develop certain curricula that kind of engage it, the, the overcrowded classroom issue is, is solved in a way, yeah? I do think that that solves the overcrowding classroom. I think as education, we can shift to that too. But I also think about some of our parents. You know, that is a shift also as a society we would have to make on their children are home all day, now needing to be educated as little ones while maybe their parents are not set up with a work schedule to support that either. So I think those are some of the questions that have to come. But when I mentioned earlier that there is some pauses that come out of this, I think the use of technology now is at the forefront. While it was available, I don't know that every school district was implementing one-to-one and really taking advantage and training an all-in approach to use a virtual model. And I think this has really um, moved us forward in that thinking as a collective education field and offering that opportunity to our families and students. Yeah, it definitely seems like that there um, are several different conversations, especially when you talk about um, the age differential. So I have uh, two boys who are in high school. One, My oldest is in, in college. So I have a certain luxury here that <laughs> some of my uh, brothers and sisters-in-law uh, who have children in primary grades are not able to sit at their kitchen table and and have conversations like this because they have little ones underfoot. It's become increasingly clear that, especially when you look at primary grades, that school was as much of a of a daycare situation as you mentioned than um, you know an academic exercise. Are there other spaces in schools, say cafeterias, outdoor spaces, um, here in the short term, that we might be able to? corral the the youngsters um, in a safe place while maybe some of the olders go to that hybrid, more kind of a, an academic-driven uh, environment. Uh, any thoughts about that? Oh, yeah. I think this definitely is pushing us to look at our space utilization within a building. So are there, there's common areas kind of outside in the hallway where we can do a small group area that becomes more utilized for instruction and learning. Can we shift our media center? You know, if we have made a great push for one-to-one and lots of stacks are going digital, we don't need as many bookshelves in a media center. How can we add more learning spaces into the media center. Even some of the multi-purpose gyms are converting. We've been providing um, some little mini classroom kits that they are adding into these multi-purpose areas. And saying, you mentioned outdoor learning. We have worked with several school districts who have made a big push to make some outdoor classrooms. So I think that is also one of the positives that comes from this is really looking at how do we utilize a all the square footage in a building to become a learning opportunity. If you think about a cafeteria, traditional cafeterias are empty kind of from that 8 to 10 or early morning time, and then they serve lunch, and then they're empty again for early afternoon and dismissal. So what can we do in those cafeterias by changing the design a little bit to create a more of a learning opportunity in those spaces? Yeah, yeah. Any innovations that you've seen over the past few months where you were kind of like, huh, all it took was a global pandemic for us to figure out that this is a, an interesting way to do things. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, in, we've often heard of teachers on a cart and 
um, art on a cart or music on a cart where teachers are moving. And that is one of the CDC recommendations that kids are staying in their space or moving together as one group as a cohort type of learning throughout the day. So it has been interesting to see the schools um, adopt kind of a mobile teacher station that moves with them from classroom to classroom. So they're not owning it anymore. They're really renting a space kind of, you know, and moving on to the next one. So that's been interesting. We have converted a lot of gyms to classrooms and they're moving their physical ed outside uh, and in thinking differently and how they're using videos in the classroom or, or reimagining what that looks like. So um, it's been interesting what, you know, getting creative here with some plexiglass in between. And, and I've even seen some teachers, you know, doing DIY with sh clear shower curtains in between spaces. So it, it will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, overall, what is your, um, your, your feel? I mean, do you feel that, um, or is it, is it kind of regionally based? You mentioned before about, uh, classrooms being able to be back in shape in time for kids this fall? I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. I do feel like that social aspect is really important for students to be um, still collaborating and still having conversations with their peers. So, you know, whether that's managed through some Zoom calls, some creative ways to do that virtually, you know, doing shared Google Docs and, and working through a collaborative platform, or if there's a comfort level to go back. We also have, you know, the cities are a little bit more challenging. Some of our rural areas aren't spiking. They don't have the cases. So, and school size and school readiness for preparation, you know, like I mentioned earlier, some of the schools that have already moved to an agile, nimble space are really ready right out of the gate to go and, and receive students back maybe and, and reimagine their learning space by just shifting the furniture and using those extra areas. Whereas some of our schools who haven't been fortunate enough to have a new build or a modernization yet still have tables or combo desks that and, and furniture and design of the physical building that doesn't allow them to as quickly make that shift. So I don't fall on one side of the fence. Really, I think it is by region, by your school situation and your population of what is the best decision for your district. Let's let's pivot a little bit. Um, one huge aspect of all of this is that the uh, remote learning um, that is going on and maybe the learning spaces that uh, have been created at home. Uh, that's, that's a huge adjustment for, for everyone. Do you have any tips for parents uh, to creating a, a, a kind of a viable mobile classroom? Yeah. So, you know, even being a teacher, when we first re were released from school, I did not know it was going to last as long, right? So we were a little bit kind of fun still in the uh, very flexible mode, what time of day we were doing our learning. It was um, a little bit like sort of an early vacation. Um, once we realized this was more than a week or two out, we I had to go back to the teacher roots of especially I have 11 and seven year olds, so they're young, uh, having a routine, a structure of this is our schedule, this is what we're doing on the daily. And to do that, I did have to create a space. Um, we laughed about it a little bit that I work remote. So often I am at my kitchen island or around the house. And um, we had to really find a spot for them that was a quiet place that they could do their Zoom calls, that they weren't interrupted, that they could follow their schedule. So for each of them, they got their daily schedule. They got a area in the house that they picked that they felt was best for their learning. 
And then we kind of set that with their supplies so they could be independent. If that work called for crayons or a calculator or a ruler, I was sure that they had all of those materials in their learning space. My son is, he's a seven-year-old boy, he's wiggly. So keeping his attention on a Zoom call for, you know, 45 minutes an hour is very tricky. So we did get them some little wobble stools that they could sit on similar to what they have in their classroom. So we ordered those for their space and um, set them up with their own whiteboards in, in their rooms. The little ones we picked up at the dollar store that they could do very similar to what they were doing in their classrooms. So I think my advice, what was successful for us and what we know is best practice as educators is setting up that area that is dedicated to learning in the home and creating that schedule that works for the family and for their learning and also giving them the materials to set them up for success. It definitely seems that um, if nothing else, this whole experience will fundamentally change um, both the way teachers uh, teach and, and students learn, right? I mean, your, your son, after having this, is he's not going to go back and sit in a, in a desk in a row. Yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> he's, he's gonna, yeah, he's going to want to have his spot. And, um, and, and teachers in, in the same way will probably realize the value of having those um, kind of those modern, flexible environments that you were talking about, right? I completely agree. I think the shift has now been forced. While we were dipping our toes in a lot of districts and a lot of areas and, and really starting to move that direction, I think our children now are going to force it. They're going to have the expectations of being engaged with technology, of being able to access you know, they've been touring national museums and going to other countries and they did not do this previous and they are now using their technology. So the world has just really opened for the, the students. And I think there's going to be an expectation now that I can learn this way. This is how I learn best. Let's make the change. And even the um, I, I keep coming back to my mind being blown by the idea of attendance, not even necessarily being like a, a primary a gauge of success, right? I mean, it, what does attendance mean? Are you sitting in the classroom or are you attending it through Zoom? I and mean, what does that even mean anymore? Right. There are some states, you know, that had pushed to more of a competency-based model where it's seat time didn't matter. They have a seat time waiver. How much time you're here isn't how you're measured. And if you think about it, that makes sense. We should be measuring on the learning and we all learn at different rate and pace. So if I've mastered that target and I did it in one day versus sitting in your class for five, then I should be able to move on to the next learning target that I'm ready to go. So I, I agree that I think seat time isn't the measure of success. I think mastery of the learning target is the measure of success. Have you had experience or uh, thoughts about how the technology in the classroom will change or, or needs to change as a result of this? So, for instance, if you have a whiteboard or, or projector and the, the, the kind of the old fashioned sage on the stage, uh, I've, I've spoken with a couple districts now who are putting in cameras um, into the classrooms uh, for students who are remote but still want to have some sort of synchronous experience. Uh, have, you, have you seen any districts uh, grappling with that? We have. And interesting, it's a lot like a workforce. Some of their training in the workforce is done uh, virtually and people follow that trainer through that workshop. You know, there are cameras that are able to do that and trace the instructor through. 
Um, distance learning. Some schools have dabbled in that already for distance learning and had great success. So I think your example of the cameras is definitely one technology that will push to change. I think one-to-one, if they were not previous, I think that's definitely been, you know, brought that um, differentiator for equity in technology and access and especially um, Wi-Fi. Are they able to connect and is that provided for them? So I do think we're looking at how does that advantage point change for technology? Give me uh, give me a little bit of a horizon check, both from your from a short term horizon to a to a long term horizon um, on what you think the pandemic will ultimately do to to the classroom. So if we talk this time next year, um, how different will it be? And then if we talk in five years from now, how, how different will it be? I think we are definitely going to see the design be forced to be flexible and nimble and agile. So the rows, day of rows and combo desk that we have seen for decades, I think that is definitely a force now. We have to be able to change quickly in what our learning and, and instructional delivery method is. So I think that has brought to the front that that's not a question anymore. That is a requirement in the learning space. I think the um, we will also see the health and safety cleaning and guidelines for what those materials are that we're putting in space will be brought to the forefront a lot more. And I also think we talked about technology, looking at technology will be at the forefront of conversations when we're designing spaces. Great. But as you mentioned before, and at, at the very beginning, um, these could end up being net positives, right? Yeah, I think it's how we look at it, right? We take what the experience we're at and hopefully we learn from that and move forward and really plan so that we are more prepared to meet the needs of our students in the future. Well, Christina, once again, I've, I've had a conversation here that uh, leaves me with uh, my glass half full <laughs> as we try to wrestle through the day to day of this craziness. Um, I keep trying to find, uh, you know, the bright spots and, and thanks to your insights, I think our listeners have found some. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for letting me join you. And thanks to the listeners. Until next time, I hope you click on a further episode of Remote Possibilities. Uh, In the meantime, stay safe. Uh, This is Kevin Hogan.